Hi, everyone. A lot of firsts today with this podcast. It is our first episode of 2023. Uh, and I know last year we only had one episode, and that was with Coach Barry Henson, former coach at Missouri State and Southern Illinois. Uh, full transparency, I, I changed jobs and moved from Florida to Delaware. And then uh, this past November, moved from Delaware to Quarteret, New Jersey, just outside New York City. And so for the first time ever bringing you this podcast from the suburbs of New York City in Quarteret, New Jersey. Welcome to On the Sports Clock. Today's guest is a 20-year college basketball coaching veteran. He started out playing college ball and then worked his way up in the high school and then college coaching ranks, making stops as an assistant at the University of Great Falls, USC Aiken, Georgia Tech, working under Coach Paul Hewitt, who we will talk more about later, Georgia Southern, George Mason, VMI, Rice, and then most recently, before his current stop, uh, Georgia State, where he worked under Coach Rob Lanier, who um, got the opportunity at SMU. Coach Kreider uh, joined him there, and uh, so he's at SMU there in Dallas, and so it's my pleasure to have on Coach Chris Kreider. Coach, uh, thanks for taking the time to do this. Always great catching up with you, and um, it's hard to believe uh, it's been 10 years ago this year since we met at George Mason. Yeah, no, Tyler, thanks for having me. It is crazy when you start naming all those schools and you just, I'm reminded how old I am. That's all that I got from your intro, but <laughs> no, it's, it's great to catch up with you. For sure, for sure. And I usually start kind of, you know, take me through when you started in, in basketball, you know, your playing days and then coaching stops along the way. But we mentioned George Mason there. Uh, so I want to start with that and then maybe we can start kind of where you grew up and, and what led you to be a coach. But um, talk about George Mason, and, and there's a couple people there. So my audience, just so they have a understanding, I did not go to George Mason, but I would fly out there from Missouri um, every summer uh, when I was in college to work basketball camps and uh, always wanted to go to George Mason for grad school and ended up getting accepted. And and unfortunately, and, and Coach Kreider, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I uh, got accepted to uh, George Mason and was all excited because I thought, okay, now I can uh, maybe be a graduate manager and and join. And then unfortunately, that same day, I literally got the email. And I think I emailed you that I got accepted before I even told my parents. <laughs> um, and then um, unfortunately, you emailed me back saying that same day he had been, uh, they had moved on. And, and so outside of that, you know, that was a bummer, but outside of that, nothing but great experiences for me at George Mason and, and, you know, getting to know you and a lot of the staff out there. So kind of talk about your experience there and specifically a um, couple people, Carolyn Marsh and her husband, who are, who are mainstays there, um, and Handy Handeran, Um, hopefully I said the last name correctly. I think I read he's just going into his 21st year uh, over there as the the strength and conditioning coach. So if you wouldn't mind talking about those folks and, and just your time there specifically. Yeah, you know, that's, uh, it was four, you know, awesome years that my, my wife and I, at the time, Livia, our daughter, was not born yet. Um, you know, we, we had a great time in D.C. We love the DMV. You know, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, so it was getting back to those cold winters that I had not been accustomed to for a couple years. But, you know, you said it best when you talked about the people, that's what I remember, you know, the most about my time at George Mason, not only, you know, our players and our staff and, and all that, but, you know, Carolyn, you know, was our, she ran the office, you know, and she had for years, you know, she did for Coach L before, you know, he took the job at Miami, uh, Coach Barnes, and she had kind of seen so many coaches over the years come through and just hearing her talk about all the previous coaches, you know, was something I really, 
enjoyed hearing, you know, just with the rich tradition there at George Mason. But, you know, Jay, you know, he he and Carolyn, they both were mainstays at Mason. I know they both recently retired and, you know, <clears throat> I know everyone in the area misses them, but what great people they were. And you mentioned Handy, you know, one of the best strength coaches I've ever been around, you know, just the thing that stands out to me about him is just his energy level, <clears throat> excuse me, on a daily basis. Just a, such a high energy guy, positive guy. And, you know, as you know, that 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 strength and coach position, strength and conditioning position, spend so much time with your players that, you know, <clears throat> it's such a benefit to have such a high energy guy around him every day from a motivation standpoint, not only in the weight room, but also in life. You know, they bounce things off of them, you know, and spend so much time with them. You know, he's such a good resource. But, you know, Coach Hewitt gave me an opportunity to join him at George Mason. I had worked for him at Georgia Tech. And, uh, you know, I just I owe him a lot for giving me an opportunity at that time. We were in the CAA when we got there and then two years in the CAA had a lot of success and, you know, ended up joining the Atlantic 10. And at that time, the league, as it always is, was very competitive. And, you know, we spent two years in the Atlantic 10 there. But I, I have such fond memories from my four years at George Mason. Yes, it's definitely a, a great campus community. And like I said, my my kind of dream was to go to school there. Of course, I had a. Uh, I knew Coach Millison, who was the women's coach over there. She was previously at Missouri State. So that was kind of what got me in at Mason and, and got to explore the campus and area and just a beautiful campus, um, you know, located in Fairfax, Virginia. So really glad to hear that the four years there was uh, was really good for you and, and your wife. And um, kind of so you talked about Coach Hewitt there and, and you mentioned Georgia Tech. So before that, I, I read you were at University of Great Falls, USC Aiken. So kind of I guess take me back to what got you into coaching and then um, all the stops previously until you got to Georgia Tech. And then I want to talk a little bit about Coach Hewitt uh, some more. Yeah, you know, you, you saying the story, you know, about how you were in touch with me about a, a GA position. You know, it's been a long time, but I do kind of remember, you know, the sequence of events. But I, I tried to do the same thing and, you know, pretty much the same thing in a way happened to me. Uh, you know, I was at the University of Great Falls for a year. Uh, the coach ended up getting let go and I had to make a decision, you know, either go back to Pennsylvania where I'm from or try to continue this long distance relationship at the time that I had with my now wife, Heather, who lived in Atlanta. So, you know, I took a leap of faith. I went you know, back to Atlanta or actually went to Atlanta for the first time and, you know, had a BA in Spanish. So I had tried to do the Spanish education thing but did not complete my student teaching so I wasn't certified to teach so I had a, a degree in Spanish that I wasn't sure what I could do with I had a you know inner desire to coach but I didn't know how that was going to work out but at the time what was very important to me was my wife my now wife uh, Heather my relationship with her so moved to Atlanta waited tables for you know a few months tried to figure out which private school in Atlanta I could get you know, a job teaching Spanish at. So interviewed at a couple schools, ended up getting a, a teaching job teaching Spanish at St. Francis High School in Atlanta. And at the time, while I was waiting tables at Copeland's in Atlanta, I actually actually happened to wait on Cliff Warren, who is now, you know, has an office right next door to me here at SMU. He was an assistant at Georgia Tech at the time. And he you know, waiting tables, seeing him, he threw out, you know, the option of, hey, why don't you come work summer camp, you know, at Georgia Tech. So I did that and I was a high school coach. And so I did that in the summers, just trying to get to know, uh, you know, people in the program. And 
just, you know, think I thought I wanted to coach in college, but I wasn't sure. So did that, met some people, ran into an old college coach of mine, Vince Alexander, who's now at Clayton State University in Atlanta. At the time, he was the head coach at USC Aiken. And after the game, he was just like, hey, you know, if you want to volunteer, get your foot in the door, you know, you'd all, you always have a spot with me. So I volunteered over at USC Aiken for a year, taught middle school Spanish, you know, 30 minutes away. So during the day from, let's call it 8 to 3 p.m., I was teaching Spanish. And then I'd drive over to USC Aiken and do a lot of the coaching responsibilities from 3 to who knows when, you know, every night. So I did that for a year. Great experience recruiting and all that. Just tried to soak it all in. And, you know, my wife was from Atlanta and, you know, just got the itch to, hey, you know, I'm whatever I was at the time, 24, 25 years old. And, you know, let's try this division one thing. Let's see if I can get in get my foot in the door. Well, as you know, it's really hard. And so long story short, Coach Hewitt at Georgia Tech ends up giving me an opportunity, but kind of like what you were, you know, went through. The GA position was given to a former player, so there was no longer a GA position available. So I just said, hey, coach, I don't know, you know, what you have here. You know, I know you're you're giving the GA spot to Anthony McHenry. You know, I'd love to help out, you know, do whatever you need me to do, but I'd love to be involved in your program. And all he said to me in passing was, uh, yeah, that, that sounds good. And he kept moving, kept walking. And so I had to confirm with the assistant coaches, like, what does that mean? Like, you know, is that a yes? And they're like, if that's what he said, yeah, just keep showing up. And that's what I did. Did it for a year as a volunteer at Georgia Tech. Same thing, taught middle school Spanish at Mount Pisgah School there in Alpharetta, Georgia. And then one day, you know, I'm sitting at a desk and I find out or I overhear that his administrative assistant was going to take another job. And one of the assistants, advocated for me and said, hey, why don't you just move, you know, Chris over into that position? And from then on, it's been one series of events after another where someone has looked out for me, helped me, given me an opportunity when I probably didn't deserve it. So I've just tried to, you know, stay in this this coaching profession uh, as much as I can because I have a passion for it. I love it. And I truly believe that, you know, God's opened up a lot of doors for me. But it was Coach Hewitt who gave me that first opportunity at the Division One level to be involved in a at that time, an ACC program. For sure, and Coach Hewitt is now cu- currently coaching. Um, and I've been out of I've been out of college basketball for a few years now. So forgive me if I'm using the wrong uh, terms. But is it the G League? Are they still calling it the G League or the D? It used to be the NBA D League. But I know I know he's coaching for a professional team at that at that level. Yes, he is. He's with the uh, the Clippers affiliate of the G League, and he's a head coach. And yeah, he's running the show over there. Awesome. Awesome. So then you um, wrap up your time at Georgia Tech um, and then you end up going over to Georgia Southern and then George Mason and VMI. Can you kind of talk about those sequence of events um, and then Rice, Georgia State and then where you're currently at at SMU? Yeah, so I'll just, uh, you know, sequentially, you know, I owe it. I owe a lot to some of these these guys that I've worked for and you know, so in sequential order, you know, Georgia Southern went with Charlton Young. Everyone calls him CY. You know, he got the job at Georgia Southern and I had worked for him or with him at Georgia Tech, you know, for, for two years. And so when he got the job, it was a simple, hey, do you want to come with me? And he went to Georgia Southern. And so I kind of I trusted him. I was like, yeah, let's do this. And Heather was on board. And so there was no interview for that 
job and that's what I learned about this business. You know, a lot of times, you know, head coaches are going to hire assistants that they know and trust and CY gave me an opportunity when looking back, I know he didn't have to do it. I know how hard it is and how many people he knew at the time. So I owe CY a lot. Um, but so he gave me that opportunity, spent two years at Georgia Southern. Uh, Coach Hewitt gets the job at George Mason. He calls and, you know, went back with Coach Hewitt for four years there at Mason. And then as, uh, you know, another part of this business, the hard reality is that, you know, you're hired to be fired at times. And uh, we went through that at George Mason. And at that time, our daughter Olivia was being born. And so I tried to get 15, 16, 17 other jobs, didn't get any. And I'm sitting at the table one day and the phone rings. It was one of my college assistant coaches. And all it was was just, hey, you know, I know you're looking for a job. My uh, old teammate, Dan Earl, just got the job at VMI and he's looking to fill, finish out his staff. He's having a hard time finishing it out. Would you want to talk to him? And so Coach Earl ended up giving me an opportunity to join him and he threw me a lifeline when I didn't have a job. And, you know, so that's how the move to VMI occurred. And we spent two awesome years there in Lexington, learned so much from Coach Earl. And then one of my other, you know, mentors growing up, Scott Perra, the head coach at Rice, we were from the same area in Pennsylvania. And so when Coach Rhodes left Rice to go to VCU, Coach Perra was elevated to the head coach there at Rice. And, you know, through my connection back from middle school to high school and playing against Coach Perra in open gyms growing up, there was a level of uh, familiarity with us too. And, you know, he, he gave me an opportunity to go to Rice and Conference USA, and that was a great opportunity you know, to get uh, to that level and that level of academics. And so spent two years at Rice and then, you know, ended up recruiting a young man named Emery Lanier. And that happens to be Coach Lanier's son, who I now work for Coach Lanier here at SMU, but also prior to SMU, worked for him at Georgia State. And the way I ended up there was just Coach Lanier had, you know, they were coming off a lot of success at Tennessee where he was an assistant. He got the job at Georgia State and he was looking, you know, to, to finish his staff and add a couple of people that had familiarity with Georgia and recruiting Georgia. And my name came up, I guess. And through my relationship with his son in the recruiting process to Rice, had gotten to know his wife. And so in a weird, long, drawn about way, my name came up. We went down that road. And with my wife being from Atlanta, going back to Georgia State was, you know, obviously a no brainer, you know, with us you know, having uh, our daughter, Olivia, having that opportunity to be around family. It was just such an awesome, you know, three years in Atlanta. And then, you know, the other side of the business, you know, I talked about getting let go. Well, when you have success, other opportunities present themselves. So Coach Lanier, you know, with the success we had at Georgia State, you know, there were a lot of people, you know, talking about him and talking to him. And he felt like this opportunity was just uh, too good to pass up here at SMU. And so fast forward, you know, coming off a tough loss uh, uh, against Gonzaga in the NCAA tournament, things happen fast. And before you know it, we're here at SMU in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, and I, I actually remember that sequence of events because I think it was about the time I took the the job that I'm at now. And so I remember reaching out to you saying, um, and, and for those of you, I've kind of mentioned it, but I've, you know, Coach Kreider's kind of been a mentor, uh, even though we haven't really worked together outside the camps. He's he's kind of been a mentor for me, like, hey, I think you should navigate this path or, or consider this. Um, and so it was about that same time when I was going through a, a job 
job change. And uh, yeah, just appreciate the the mentorship with that. And definitely uh, glad to see Coach Lanier get that opportunity and you you to go on uh, with Coach Lanier as well. And, um, you know, things are, I, I know the, the, you know, you're in, you're in a new situation there, but kind of talk about the season a little bit. Um, and then I want to uh, talk about a couple things as you've kind of mentored me that that you've told me in the past that have to do with coaching that I think our listeners might might be interested in. Um, so we'll start now with with where you're at at SMU and, and the season today. Yeah, you know, we're in the heart of conference play and uh, we have a home stretch coming up here. We just played the two best or two of the better teams, definitely the best team in our conference on the road. We played Houston and UCF on the road and Tulsa at home. So we're one and two and uh, have Tulane and Cincinnati come into town this week, you know, as we're speaking right now. But, you know, we're in the heart of the conference and, you know, conference season for the first time as a staff, getting to know the league and what that's about and, you know, have a brand new uh, assembly of guys here on our roster. We added a lot of new transfers. And so, you know, we know what we have now and we're, we're in the flow of, you know, you're you're either playing a game or starting the preparation for the next opponent. So we just finished practice and uh, getting ready to, you know, play a home game tomorrow. So we're deep in the scouting and, you know, watch some film here tonight, just uh, some personnel clips and some reminders about the overall game plan. So we're in that fun part of the season where it's just play, you know, maybe an off day, but then you're right back to work getting ready for the next opponent. But it's a it's a grind. The AAC is a high level league. You have Houston, you know, who's number one in the country and you have, you know, right behind them Tulane, UCF, Memphis, Cincinnati, you know, a couple of those programs will be moving to the Big 12 next year. But in the meantime, it's a potentially two to three bid league. And, and we're right tonight, you know, we're playing against some of the the best players in the country. You have multiple first round draft picks in the league this year. So it's definitely a challenging league uh, like it always is. Definitely. And there's one other school in there, too, that uh, back in back in my six years being involved between, you know, Fort Missouri State to at Loyola, Chicago. But the school that was um, how do I say this nicely? A major pain in my or thorn in my side was uh, Wichita State. And and um, have you all been up to Coke Arena yet uh, this year or is that coming up on your schedule? Yeah, that's coming up pretty soon. But yeah, a lot of respect for the way they've always played, um, you know, just a uh, you go over there and it's like the lion's den, you know, they're, <laughs> you better be ready. No matter, no matter what day it is, what time it is, it's going to be packed and it's going to be a good basketball environment. For sure. For sure. So now a um, couple things too, I want to kind of reflect on that you told me and for people who are listening, who want to get into coaching, I'll say this to say, you know, coach Kreider is, is someone who uh, definitely um, rising star in the game and, and, you know, Hope, hope you don't mind me saying this, but, you know, and I know you've said this publicly, it's it's every assistant school, but hands down should be, will be a head coach someday. And and so definitely appreciate any advice you can give our listeners of, of people who want to break in the business. And one of the things you told me was you said uh, when I was at Loyola and things were kind of happening in my career, I was starting to, you know, people were starting to give me my breaks was you said, Tyler, be the first one in the gym and the last one to leave. And, and I just think that's been your, your, just based on interviews I've, I've, as I was preparing for this, you know, Coach Hewitt said the same thing. You're the first one to the gym, last one to leave. Um, so kind of talk about that and any advice you might have for people who want to get into coaching. Yeah, I appreciate those kind of words. I mean, I, I think uh, 
in this profession, you, you have to know what you're getting into. And I think when I first got in, it was, I was a little naive, you know, I've learned a lot since I, you know, first started this. And I think, you know, right now you have 363, whatever it is, division one schools in the country. And so if being a division one head coach is your goal and your aspiration, you have to understand how hard that truly is to do. You know, it's like winning the lottery. I mean, there's only 363, whatever that is in the whole world. And those opportunities are hard to get. And so I personally, you know, try to live by just the overall perspective of, of knowing that God has ordered my steps. If it's meant to be for me to head, be a head coach, you know, I'll try to do my best to be ready for that. If it's not in the cards for me, he had his other plans for me. That's kind of how I'm looking at it because of my experience in it. I have known so many great assistant coaches that never got that opportunity. So you know, I try to keep that perspective on a daily basis. So in the meantime, to be the best assistant that I can be, I know myself and I know the only way, and I was kind of the same way as a player. I wasn't blessed with a lot of athletic ability and, you know, I had a love for the game, but I knew I had to work hard. And that's what my mind needs, you know, in coaching. If I'm not prepared, I just don't feel like I'm ready. I don't feel like I'm right. And so whether that's, you know, I have a family now, so it's a little different. I do try to work smarter. So my routine now is I do try to get in early, but more important to me than being the first one in or, or working hard is spending time with my daughter. So I drop her off at school at 6.30 and I'm here by seven because we practice around 8.30. Um, so I, I do what I have to do to be prepared. But when I get home at night, you know, I spend my time with her. And when she goes to bed, I get the laptop out again and, and start watching film or making recruiting calls or whatever it might be. But I think to be in this profession, you have to understand it's competitive. You have to be, you can't be afraid of work. You have to be competent. You have to know what you're doing. And the longer you do something, hopefully the more experience you get in that. But you have to be yourself at the same time. You know, uh, you can look around the country and look at the successful head coaches and they all have different styles. Um, and I think you have to learn what you can from each one of those and maybe say, okay, I that this part of this coach I like, but it's not me. So I'm going to have to do things another way. I just think there's so much that goes into it. But at the end of the day, when you're a head coach, you're a CEO. And at this level, the, the organization, the business part of it can be extensive. You have a large support staff, you have GAs, <clears throat> uh, support staff, assistant coaches, managers, and then at the same time, they all have families too. So you're, as a, a head coach, you're responsible for a lot of people. And so I think if you can, you know, know, have a sense of a awareness about what makes you the best that you can be, do that. Um, something else that I need is organization. So I try to organize myself and, and do things in a way that I can I can have a clear mind when I'm called on for whatever it is it might be you know i'm responsible for scheduling here so i have to stay organized with that recruiting is comprehensive and you got to collect a lot of information so you got to stay organized with that scouting reports you know you're you have one scout you're playing central florida on a sunday at two o'clock and you have the cincinnati scout the next saturday at whatever time and so you got back to back where you got to be working ahead and time management and all the things that they tell you to <laughs> learn in high school and college, it comes out. Um, but it's the biggest thing I can tell you is it's it's a competitive environment. 
but I think you can be successful in this by being yourself, working hard, surrounding yourself with good people. And I think when you do all that, you, you give yourself the best chance of success. For sure. And you, you mentioned something earlier in the podcast too, um, and, and not talking about that situation particularly, but it, it is true. We, we said it all the time, uh, you know, back when I was in, it was coaches are hired to be fired. So um, kind of dive into, so say someone breaks into the business or, or they're considering an opportunity where, and eh, there's a chance that you're basically tied to your head coach. Is that, is that still kind of the case in, in college basketball or with the transfer portal? Um, and I know that's changed a lot of things in, in the game, but um, our, our new head coaches a lot more are more hesitant to, to let go of, of other, you know, previous staff because they're afraid they may lose more recruits kind of how, I guess, how, do those go hand in hand and kind of talk about preparing yourself for, for, Hey, that motto, like a coach, it's very rare. They stick around in a position for, you know, 10 years. Yeah. I think it still happens in the way that you described, you are tied to your head coach. And then every situation that presents itself, every hire is unique. So depending on the status of the program before that new head coach is hired, depending on the location, the league, the administration, the president, the AD, the search firm, whatever head coaching hire is made, there's all kinds of little factors that vary from job to job. So to give a generality, it just, it'd be, that wouldn't be honest. So I think when any head coach is hired, they have the ability to hire their staff. And I think they're either, if they're a current sitting head coach, they're going to bring most likely a lot of assistant coaches and support staff with them. So there goes a lot of the open opportunities that you might think on paper oh you know he's going to need three assistants an ops guy a video guy director of player personnel a couple GAs so I'm going to send in my application and apply and the reality is they already know who they're going to hire they're either going to bring all their guys with them or they're going to lean on people they respect and they have a running list uh you know of people that if if an opportunity ever presented itself that they you know guys they would hire and um, you know, depending on what state you're in, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, you're going to want someone that's recruited that area. And so it's so complicated. And but the biggest thing you can try to do as a young assistant is surround yourself and work for good people. Because, you know, if you are in a situation like I was fortunate, Coach Hewitt is a is an, one of the all time best coaches. I mean, final four, the amount of pros that he coached in his career. I mean, he is one of the best to ever do it. And he gave me an opportunity and it just so happens he's a really good dude and he's taking care of me. And there are some good coaches that you you can't say that about. And so I think surround yourself with good people. And if you're a father and a husband, a lot of times there are some situations that you might need to look at very carefully. Sometimes, you know, whether that's office hours or just ways of doing things that might not be conducive to you know, seeing your family a lot, you know, those are, you know, uh, sacrifices that you might have to calculate on the front end. Like, do I really want to take this job because I have, you know, a, a young kid or a couple, you know, kids at home or whatever your family situation is. So I think the longer you are in the business, <clears throat> you know what questions to ask on the front end before you take a job. And I think those are smart questions to ask yourself and, you know, smart things to consider within the whole process because 
we spend so much time together in this profession. You know, we see our fellow colleagues, our fellow coaches, our players. We spend more time with them than we do our family by the numbers. I mean, that's 100%, especially this time of the year. So you want to surround yourself with good people in a situation where you know you won't have to compromise or, you know, be anyone that you're not. Appreciate all that advice. And like I said, to anybody listening, um, you know, definitely take take what Coach Kreider's saying to heart. It's, uh, you know, been fun to watch watch your career and kind of watch you progress in that career. And like I said, getting to know, know you, uh, I still can't believe it's been 10 years ago here. I was just, you know, some some dude from Missouri State just happened <laughs> to appear on campus and I'm running up. And, and, and I'll say one other thing real quick about that whole experience for me was I really felt, and, and this kind of, I believe, you worked with Coach Hewitt, you know, I'm just with camps, but when you were talking about, you know, family, you know, he's a good guy and, and the family um, aspect of college, college athletics, I really felt like during my, my tenure, and I'm sure, sure, you know, other coaches you worked for were the same, um, but I just really felt, I felt like that team in particular um, really kind of took me in and, and made me a part of their family, even though I was not a, a George Mason student or, or part of the team. I was just coming out there. They all knew when I was coming to town and all invited me, you know, to, to hang out with them outside of camp and stuff. And then just to see the number of alumni that were coming back for those camps. You know, you've got Tony Skin, who played on that Final Four team, who didn't even play under Coach Hewitt, but, you know, he would bring his son to camp. So I just say all that to say I really felt like that program in particular, because I was around it and, and got to experience it myself in some capacity, family was very important. And it felt like one big family. And I really, really enjoyed my, my two summers out there working camps and, and getting to know you all. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you felt that way because that's what we tried. And it started with Coach Hewitt, you know, there. But, you know, you try to establish that family atmosphere. You know, 90% of the teams in the country right now, you know, when they huddle up, they say family on three. But I don't think 90% of the programs actually live that out, you know, unfortunately. But I, I do feel like we did there and we do here. And, you know, I've worked for guys that really value that. You know, there's going to be days where guys need to, sit down and talk about something other than basketball. There's going to be good days, bad days. And that's when that sense of family comes out. And it might be a manager. It might be a GA. It might be a strength coach. It might be an assistant coach. Just knowing that everybody's in the same fight together and it's bigger than basketball. You know, there definitely, you know, is a lot to be said for that. For sure. Um, last question, then we'll get into our last segment here, uh, which is called Tyler's Five, which is, five random questions that have absolutely nothing to do with anything. Um, and I ask all my all my guests this, so we'll get to that. But um, how are you? I know you've been in the role, I believe, since April there at SMU. You and the staff uh, got assembled pretty quickly, it sounded like. And I know you hit the ground, hit the ground running. But um, how are you liking, you know, the, the Dallas area and, and being back? I know you've spent time in Texas before, but uh, just kind of that area. And then I have to ask, is it true and, and coming from where I live, Chicago, and now outside New York City, is it true that Dallas traffic is as bad as what they say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll answer the second one first. I think uh, Atlanta traffic is worse. So I'm coming from Atlanta. I actually don't mind Dallas traffic. So <laughs> that's my answer to that. But it it uh it can it can be bad at times. But just like any other city, you got to know the alternative routes and just pull up ways and and avoid traffic and try to do it the best you can. But this this area you know where smu is located it's 
it's really, you know, in a pocket of town where you're in Dallas, but when you're on campus, you don't feel like you're in the middle of a city. Um, you have elite level top 100 academics combined with really competitive American conference athletics. And you have a president and an athletic director and administration that really value the combination of academics and basketball for us. And, you know, they give us everything that we ask for and everything that we need to be successful. Um, but it, it's a special place. And, you know, you even get local young players that come over, you know, prospects, they they don't even know it's over here. It's just kind of tucked away uh, here. And so it's a, it's a beautiful campus, um, awesome opportunity from a basketball standpoint. They've had so much success here and Moody Coliseum gets rocking and the students really get into it. And, you know, there's so many positives, uh, especially when you throw in the city of Dallas, um, it's an easy sell. You know, you get guys on the phone and you tell them you're from SMU and you get them on campus. I mean, there, there's not much selling to be done. For sure, and, and glad to hear it sounds like you're enjoying it there. And and um, I know the program you you're, you are going to continue to to do to have success as you um, as you build build the program and and keep keep moving along. So uh, definitely um, been following the program and going to continue to follow the program in your career. Just really appreciate um, everything you've done for me as a mentor, and then you know joining me. Um, on this podcast to, to let my listeners know, give them some insight and some advice. So really appreciate you taking time to do this. Sure, anytime, Tyler. Awesome, so we're gonna get in our last segment, which is Tyler's Five, and it's meant to just kind of put you on the spot, Coach Kreider, so in a, <laughs> in a fun way, good fun way. So um, okay. make you think a little bit. So five questions here. So first question, favorite song? Yeah, wow, you know what? Um, I'd have to think of names of songs. What I I'm at the age and I this time of year I'd have to think about it. But I'll tell you what what genre I like. How about that? Um, yeah. That if I'm listening to music, if I'm working out, I grew up in Colombia, South America, and salsa and merengue and some of the Colombian music I like. But reggaeton, that genre of music, just because of my my background growing up in Colombia, I'll throw on some reggaeton and half the time I couldn't tell you what the name of the song is sometimes who the artist is but i just know i like it i put it on shuffle so i'm going to listen to some reggaeton if i get a chance awesome second question um chicago deep dish pizza new york deep or, or new york style pizza or if neither what style new york style for sure i worked for coach Hewitt for so long and he's from new york and he <laughs> used to kill any other type of pizza so i gotta say new york and he took me to this spot that he says is the best. I forget the name of it, but he said, this is the best pizza in New York. And so I'm going to say New York. Okay, awesome. Good to, good to hear. For all my New York listeners, there you have it. Uh, Coach Kreider and Coach Hewitt both endorse New York style pizza. So uh, <laughs> it's it's definitely going to be up there. I I would personally go with Chicago because I am not a cheese person, but and I worked at a pizza place in Chicago, but... Um, I've always wanted to try New York style. I just wish they would go light on the cheese, if you know. <laughs> Third question, um, if you weren't coaching uh, or if you had to have one other career outside of coaching, what would that be? Um, that's a great question. I would say a headhunter, headhunting firm. I would enjoy that. Just my experience recruiting, maybe some similar skills involved in that. I think I would enjoy that. Definitely. I see a lot of coaches. Um, that's 
what I've done for a living now the last I got out of coaching and got into HR and head hunting and I definitely see a lot of coaches who you know maybe want us to take a step back and get into still utilize those skills can definitely attest to there is a lot of uh, crossover for sure in terms of skills so um frank coach out there that's looking to make a career change there you have it uh, uh, a <laughs> be a head hunter um fourth question favorite baseball team um don't watch baseball gonna be honest can't get into it i'm gonna say the phillies because my dad would say the phillies i was born in pennsylvania spent a lot of time growing up and my dad wanted me to play baseball i played it for a little bit and then when we moved to columbia i got into basketball so i'll say the phillies just for that reason my dad likes them okay i was hoping you would say the cubs there or or (laughs) the new york mets but i but i can i can go with the phillies because of where you're from and then um you're from two outside of a city that i just visited a couple weeks ago um, very briefly, but Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and they've got the double A uh, Nationals team and and just have to ask curious real quick. So we're flying into Harrisburg's airport. I've never flown into that airport before. And I'm sitting by the window and all of a sudden, you know, we're following the river and all of a sudden there's a baseball stadium literally. I mean, I had to do a double take and there was a baseball stadium literally sitting in the middle of the river on an island. So was that there in, in Harrisburg when you were growing up or is that a relatively new uh, new stadium there? Yeah, that was there. And I know, I think it's kind of close to the three mile island-ish, but I know we used to go over there. Um, and I'm not sure if it's the same uh, team that's affiliated with them now. I don't follow it that closely and it's been a long time. But yeah, there was a football team, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, a baseball stadium there and a baseball team that played there growing up yeah it it caught my eye because like i said i had to do a double take i was like am i seeing this correctly (laughs) so now it's on that that's on my bucket list to to go uh it's only a three-hour train ride here from where i'm at in jersey so definitely uh planning on going to a game there it should be interesting last question coach and then we'll let you go um you were talking about washington dc and how you really enjoyed it so what's your favorite place to visit in washington dc Favorite place? There was a W, I'll just a hangout spot. We used to go recruiting, you know, for official visits. We used to take them to, before we went to dinner at a certain restaurant, we used to go, I believe it was the W right across the street from the the White House. And they had a lounge up on the top floor and you overlook and you could see the White House, you could see the city, the skyline and all that. That was a good hangout spot. my wife and I used to go there every once in a while and just hang out, see the city and all that. So I, I'd say the W rooftop lounge. For sure. And um, last thing real quick. So I, I, I know which restaurant you're talking about. I think I've been there. Definitely uh, good views. But there was another place there that I, I frequented across the street. And, and this is going to bring back some memories uh, because I know if it serves me correctly, the women's team I know had their pregame meals over there, but I don't know if the men's team did, but Brian's Grill across the street there. Uh, don't know if you uh, spent a lot of time over there or if that was where the pregame meals were, but that was that was a good spot there uh, in Fairfax. Too. Yeah, yeah, Brian Brian's Grill was the, was definitely the pregame spot and postgame spot as well. Awesome. Coach, really appreciate it. Great catching up with you and and talking, kind of reminiscing a little bit. Um, wish you and, and your staff and, and the players the best of luck the rest of the season. And uh, definitely stay in touch and um, appreciate you joining us. No, Tyler, thanks a lot. Great to catch up with you. And obviously, if you ever need anything, you know who to call. Awesome. Appreciate it. Coach Chris Kreider.